0: Um, When I heard that I was going to be preaching on this passage, I have to say I didn't want to. I thought, how do you talk about the holiness of God? And what does it mean? Um, But I just felt, go on, boy, get on with it. Uh, So I tried to be obedient. So my prayer is actually that uh, God speaks to us. I want him to speak to me. I've got six questions I want to go through today. Uh, So you can can see how long I'm going to go on, can't you? The first one is, when I talk about holiness or being holy, what comes to your mind? Is it, um, in fact, if you Google holiness in images, the person you get is the Dalai Lama uh, as the biggest kind of one that comes up, which is interesting, isn't it? Is it the Pope? Is it Cardinals? Is it, you've got to be holy, sort of big finger pointing? What is it? Peter says, uh, I'm referring to the Bible quite a lot, for one Peter in particular, so if you want a Bible and you haven't got one, go and grab one. But he says, even the angels desire to look into these things. What things? This salvation, the grace that was to come to us, the sufferings of the Messiah, and the glories that would follow. So this is my prayer this morning. Let us have minds that are alert and fully sober. Let us set our hope on the grace to be brought us when Jesus Christ is revealed that is coming. Let us not conform to evil desires we had when we lived in ignorance. But just as he who called us is holy, so let's be holy in all we do. For it's written, be holy, for I am holy. Staggering. So, to start with, I want to remember who's written this letter. It's Peter, the fisherman, the one who left his nets to follow the rabbi, Jesus. A religious person, we assume, his brother Andrew was a follower of John Baptist. He wasn't educated. The Sanhedrin said that he was unschooled and ordinary, along with his brother John. But it doesn't mean he was thick, it just means he wasn't educated. (laughs) In fact, he was probably very bright. He was a good businessman, fisherman. And he was a passionate man, a born leader. In Luke chapter 5, we're told that he had a fishing business, he had a boat, and Jesus used his boat as a pulpit. And after the teaching, uh, Jesus told Peter to throw his nets over the side. You know the story aspect. Peter objected, but then he did it anyway. And he caught this miraculous number of fish in his net. And his reaction was to kneel down at Jesus' feet and say, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. That was his encounter. And this is the Peter that's now writing, be holy. (laughs) And in his second book he says, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life, through our knowledge of Him who has called us by His own glory and goodness. (laughs) Through these, He has given us very great and precious promises so that through them, you, that's me, and you, may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Last week, Dave asked us, when did Peter become what we would call a Christian? (laughs) I thought it was a great question, and I play with it a lot in my head. He was certainly a follower of Jesus, but he failed desperately, didn't he? He witnessed the crucifixion, and he saw Jesus alive. He was utterly transformed at Pentecost when he received the Holy Spirit. But here's my theme. I don't know what you thought about holiness and being holy, but what I believe, and I'm copying Simon Ponce a bit on this one holiness is God's great invitation. Holiness is God's great invitation. So, my second question what is holiness? In general, it means pure, separated, set apart, standing outside. And of course, supremely, God is holy. He's not of this world. When do we first meet the Word? It's in Exodus, chapter 3, verse 5. Which is interesting. It's not in Genesis, which is the book of the beginnings. It's in Exodus, the book of redemption. Moses is in the desert with his sheep. He sees a burning bush, but it's not consumed. God speaks to him from the bush. He wasn't expecting it, but God did. Moses, Moses, said God, don't come any closer. Take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy ground. In those days, you removed your shoes or sandals as a sign of respect before one who was greater, and because your sandals carry the dust and filth of the earth. And what does God do at this holy encounter? Does he blow Moses away in fury at man's sinfulness? No. He speaks to Moses. He shared his concern. He said... I am God, I've seen the trouble my people are in, and I'm going to rescue them. So now go, I'm sending you to bring my people out of Egypt, out of slavery, I am with you. So God's call in that place of terrifying holiness was, listen, my heart, is breaking because people are in slavery. Come to me. Come up higher and go and tell them that they can be set free. Holiness is God's great invitation. And what about the next encounter that we hear of, the big one, that we sung about just now in Isaiah chapter 6? In the year King Uzziah died, Isaiah says... I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seating on a throne. And the train of His robe filled the temple. Above Him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty and the whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I'm ruined, for I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he taken from tongs from the altar, and with it he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And I said, here am I. Send me. Holiness is God's great invitation. He felt utterly unclean, and yet he heard the grief of God and responded. And God's call was on his life in that encounter with the Holy One. God was saying, Come up higher. And what about the encounter of Peter in his fishing boat? Oh God, I'm unclean. Depart from me. What did Jesus say? Fear not. From now on, you'll catch men. It seems to me that wrapped up in an awareness of the Holy God is the call to redemption. Holiness. Is God's great invitation. Question three. What is it that means we're not holy? That's bad English. You know what I mean? The cry, isn't it, when you're aware of God and the ones we've read, is I'm unclean. (laughs) Sin, we call it. Don't often mention it in church, funnily enough although it's mentioned hundreds of times in Scripture. Perhaps we need to relearn the word. What is sin? It's violating God's ways. It's offense against God. It's deviating from God's path. Fundamentally, sin is selfishness. God is not selfish. Sin is selfishness. It's about me not God. It's about me, not my fellow man. God hates it. He cannot abide it. It's an affront to his nature. He made us human. He gave us his image. And we've messed it up. It must be dealt with (laughs) if we're to have relationship with God. God's heartbroken with sin. He longs to people to be brought back into relationship with him. Back into that place that is described at the beginning and I don't know whether it's picture or literal but where God walked with man in the garden and they had a relationship. It's suggested that to be holy is to be fully human restored into the image of God, back in communion with him, just as originally intended. As Peter puts it, participating in the divine nature. Fourth question, how can this be? Surely it's impossible that I, Pete Barton, could ever be acceptable in God's sight? Well, yes. And that was my testimony for years, as you know. I've said it here before. And it still amazes me. The years when I knew about God, read my Bible, went to chapel, but I didn't know him. I didn't know that I was forgiven. It used to frustrate me, and I got angry with God about it. Dave was encouraging us last week to remember that day or that season when we received that revelation that God has accepted me. What a day. Glorious, yes. Frightening, yes. Painful, yes. Wonderful, yes. All of the above. It's a fearful thing to know God, isn't it? But a wonderful thing to know that he accepts you. Um, At the seminar uh, a week or so ago that we had here, when Peter Hatton was talking, he mentioned a book by someone called Rosaria Butterfield. I thoroughly recommend it. It's called The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert. She says this. She discovered the first rule of repentance that repentance requires greater intimacy with God than with our sin. I love that. I love that. We can beat ourselves up about our sin. That's not the answer. The answer is the intimacy with God. When we see who he is, hear his invitation, are drawn into his presence, then sin... We see it as it is, and we just want rid of it. And he comes and says, it's okay. You're forgiven. Holiness, God's great invitation. Jesus Christ died a tragic, unfair, ugly death to take the punishment of my sin and yours. True, true, it is finished. If you've never known that, I plead with you now, get there. Face it, confess it before God, the rubbish that you are or feel. Tell God about it and know that there's a free gift of utter, complete Forgiveness because of what Jesus Christ has done. Utterly. It's mind blowing, but it's true. What relief. Wesley wrote a hymn Tis finished, the Messiah dies. Cut off for sin, but not his own. Accomplished is the sacrifice the great redeeming work is done. Accepted in the well-beloved and clothed in righteousness divine, I see the bar to heaven removed and all your merits, Lord, are mine. Hallelujah. Question five. Is it possible, then, to live a holy life? We've known forgiveness, from question four. We've got to that point where we know, God, you've forgiven me. But do we have to do that every hour? Every day, every week, every minute? Is it possible to live a holy life? To live before God, in communion, fellowship with him? Peter says, be holy in all you do, for it is written be holy, for I am holy. And the church is described as being a holy priesthood, a holy nation. Quite a call. Davis used an expression which I like, we must let scripture interrogate us, instead of allowing ourselves the privilege of interrogating scripture. So let's let scripture interrogate us. We cannot escape the word of God. Which states clearly that once we have been baptized into Jesus' death, we have the ability to choose whom we obey. I don't just mean water baptism. I mean that baptism, which is when you're confronted with God and you say, okay, I'm prepared to give it all up. Take my sin away. I will now live for you. Immersion into God. A moment. Paul says, we now choose whether we obey sin to death or obedience to righteousness. He says, this is Romans 6, which I haven't heard someone preach on for many years, and it troubles me. Is it because we're scared of it or don't feel we can live it? Anyhow, he says, don't let sin reign in your body, that you should obey it, and it's lusts. Don't do it. He's not saying you can't. He's saying the choice is yours, as far as I can see. So we're studying Peter. So I'm just going to read out lots of scriptures from Peter's epistle, which talk about this issue. Okay, you ready? So, chapter 1, verse 14 of 1 Peter. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and deceit and hypocrisy, envy, slander of every kind. Like newborn babes, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Crave. I looked it up. It means long for it, like a baby does milk. You know, well, where's Elaine? Has she gone out? Oh, not Elaine, Ruth. You know, you're related. You know when a baby's hungry, don't you? I mean, it just goes on. (laughs) I want it. I need milk. It's about all they can say, isn't it? Ah! Crave it. Sorry, Lane. (laughs) It was a few years ago, wasn't it? Chapter 2, verse 11. I urge you, as foreigners and exiles, abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Chapter 2, verse 16. Live as free people. Live as God's slaves which is what Paul talks about a lot in Romans 6, isn't it? Who are you a slave to? That's the issue. Is it that sinfulness, your own nature, or is it God? It seems, from what he says, it's a choice. It's one or the other. 1 Peter two two 2.21 To this you were called, because Christ suffered you for you, leaving you example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was in his mouth. And in chapter 4, verse 1, And since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body has finished with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. It's strong stuff, isn't it? And I'm not advocating that you can't sin. I'm not advocating that we're all going to be perfect. I'm not saying that. But we do set our bar very low. (laughs) When Jesus Christ is calling us up higher, and that's what I'm saying this morning, holiness is God's great invitation. And I just feel a plea within me for us all. Come up higher. Don't settle for it. <laughs> Don't settle with a rubbish life. Come up higher. Rosaria well, Butterfield says this, too, in her book. She had an interesting history. She was a professor of English at the American university and headed up the gay and lesbian movement in America, largely. And she was vehemently against the Christian world and church and God. But she was a very sincere, very intelligent, very authentic person. And she met God. So it's a great read. What happened? She says this. I had to lean and lead hard on the full weight of Scripture, on the fullness of the Word of God, And I'm grateful that when I heard the Lord's call on my life, and I wanted to hedge my bets, keep my girlfriend, and add a little God to my life, I had a pastor and friends in the Lord who asked nothing less of me than that i die to myself. Wow. Thank God. She writes very, very sincerely and honestly about the struggle that it was to follow Jesus, but with the love that drove her to do it and the call on her life and the freedom she discovered. She also says this, which I think is striking, and I think it'll strike a chord with all of us. God is more greatly grieved by the sins of those who claim to know him than by those who don't. Because Peter says in chapter 4, verse 17, it's time for judgment to begin with God's household. I hope it's not sounding heavy. Holiness is God's great invitation. Simon Ponsonby also says this. There's a danger that we are trying to avoid the crucible that shapes holy character. Perhaps those who seek a crisis experience can't face the sheer effort and personal cost involved in obtaining holiness, the daily walk, rejecting sin, of dying to the flesh, of facing and overcoming temptations. Yet, like Jesus... We are to learn obedience through the things that we suffer. (laughs) John Stott said, the search for Christian growth and fulfillment without acknowledging the cost of discipleship is a major temptation today. (laughs) Interesting. Question six. How can this be? (laughs) How can it be? that there's even the possibility of a walk in fellowship with God. The Holy Spirit. Interesting that Peter uses the word holy more than any other of the writers of the epistles. (laughs) He talks about a holy nation, being holy, a holy spirit. And yet he's one who seemed almost most aware of his own wretchedness? Isn't that amazing? The Holy Spirit is our hope. Without Him, it's impossible. And without some guts and grit, it's also impossible. The Holy Spirit, that personality of God, if I can put it that, that aspect of God, that part of God, who comes and takes up residence in our very being to help us walk in relationship with God, our comforter, our guide, our teacher, God himself, taking up residence in this human flesh is mind-blowing. And I wouldn't believe it if it wasn't true. (laughs) It's just amazing. Yet, like God, he is holy. He doesn't cohabit with sin. I used to hear the phrase quite a lot in the past, keep short accounts with God. It's good advice, isn't it? (laughs) Don't just let things build up and not deal with them. If we'll face them, keep short accounts with God, we can keep walking, and the Holy Spirit walks with us. And we can learn what it is to recognize his voice, hear his promptings. Am I saying we never get tempted? Of course not. (laughs) Jesus was tempted, which again is mind-blowing. How could God be tempted? Well, he was in Jesus, somehow. Of course we know temptation. But we have help to resist it. Holiness is God's great invitation. true holiness which is god moves towards us it doesn't point the finger <laughs> the pharisees were thought to be the mo- most holy people on earth when jesus was around yet jesus hated their what they thought holiness was they were just accusing all the time weren't they pointing the finger at the sinner What did Jesus do? Think of the woman in adultery. Just the opposite. He was calling the sinner in. Forgiving. Calling them into relationship. We must never be pointing the finger. But we are asked to be holy. So true holiness that is God, moves towards sinners. Not to condemn, but to release and call up higher. So going back to Exodus 3, verse 5, and that encounter that Moses had with the Holy God, it seems to me that it's all about redemption. (laughs) It's all about God saying, I want people to know freedom from their slavery. And let's face it, sin enslaves us. (laughs) Doesn't it? And God's saying, I don't want that. Come up higher. And the church is meant to be a holy people. Not so were holier than thou quite the opposite. (laughs) But where God has so dealt with us, where we've got such a walk with God, such an, an encounter with Him. We've had such a vision of Him that we see His love and His care and just want to bring people in and call them up higher. Remember that uh, quote I said earlier. The first rule of repentance is about greater intimacy with God than with our sin. I know for me, my story, it was, I was aware of my sin, and I didn't know how to get rid of it, didn't know how to defeat it, didn't know what to do about it, it just plagued me. But something happened. (laughs) I can't even describe it. But somehow God touched me, and I touched God, and something happened. And some of those powers that had enslaved me were definitely broken at that time, without a shadow of doubt. They were broken and have been ever since. There are other things that I still struggle with. (laughs) Temptations are still there. But is Jesus king? Relating back to that Palm Sunday story, which I admit I didn't tell very well, there is a new king on the throne. And the one who wanted to be king is not. The one who wants to enslave is not on the throne. Jesus Christ is. Who will you serve? It's all about Jesus. I read these scriptures and I thought, how do I do this? What, how do you talk about holiness and the holy without it all concentrating on me and my problems and sin and what it is to be holy and you? Oh, but the solution is, Jesus, to have a sight of the Savior. <laughs> Holiness is God's great invitation. There's some familiar scriptures in chronicles. I'm about to finish. It says this: "If we, His people, we're his people. are called by His name, will humble ourselves and pray and seek His face and turn from our wicked ways, then He, God, will hear from heaven and will forgive our sin and will heal our land. Isn't that what we want? Isn't that what Richard prayed at the end of the worship? Heal our land, God. Well, part of that means come up higher. Have some grit about you with the issues you face. Come up higher. Be intimate with God. Live a holy life. Be a holy people. If you're into revivals... I think they almost all started with a call to holiness. (laughs) I'll finish there, but I'm going to finish by sitting down and letting us just listen to a hymn. Because it's a great hymn. Because it's all about Jesus. It's all about the cross. And when you see that, as Peter did, clearly from his writings, he saw and knew Jesus. And everything else had to melt away. (laughs) Oh God, do that for us. So let's just listen to this hymn.